podcast is brought to you by Iman Publishing, Canada's leading independent legal publisher. Welcome to the Lawyer's Lounge, a criminal law-focused podcast. Wherever you are, whenever you are, the Lawyer's Lounge is always open. Come on in. Hey, Lisa told me to tell you this. We are not your lawyer. The Lawyer's Lounge is an entertainment podcast and is not legal advice. Hey everyone, welcome back to the lounge special episode this time, first ever crossover episode where we cross over with the law school show and you'll hear from Madison Tebbett, a student at Dell, uh, along with Rebecca Jeremko Bromwich, who will tell us a little bit about her experience with some students, her recent experience with some students so it's all about students this week in the lounge. Enjoy. All righty, here we go. Well, good afternoon, Danielle, and welcome to the law school show, or should I say the crossover episode between the law school show and the lawyer's lounge. And I can, yes, well, <laughs> I, I can speak for, for everyone at the law school show when I told them I was interviewing you. They were so incredibly excited, and I'm so incredibly excited to be able to you know, speak with you today and learn about, you know, everything that you've experienced from graduating law school to where you are now, which is a defense attorney in Toronto and sort of this incredible career that you had. And of course, thank you to Eamon Publishing for making this conversation possible. So, so welcome. How are you? It's a Friday. Things are good. I'm well, I'm on the cusp of March break. So, you know, in Toronto, what happens is a lot of litigators get that hell out of Dodge and uh, go somewhere with their kids on March break. I'm heading to the cottage and things tend to kind of quiet down and it's a bit peaceful and you can either not work or you can do um, some quiet trial prep or you can write that paper you've been meaning to write. So uh, I'm on the cusp of what I hope will be uh, a pretty engaging and relaxing week. So things are good today. Oh, that's very nice. Very. We just had our reading break here um, at, out in Halifax is where I am. And it was it was very relaxing. I got a few days of peace and quiet. So that's nice to hear that that still exists for it lawyers does. as well. <laughs> yeah, I, some of us are better than others at taking advantage and really kind of slowing down and pausing. And I think you've probably noticed that already in your in your law career that some of your colleagues are better than others at kind of tuning out and turning off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's different because of COVID and, and having sort of less interaction than I would with some students um, to sort of gauge how intense some are, but they are out there <laughs> for sure. Like the ones who live in the library and then the ones who kind of, I like clock out eventually. Um, I'm going to go home and bake cookies or something, but yes, I have noticed that it's, we're a, an eclectic bunch for sure. And especially at Dalhousie. Definitely, especially, yeah. which is, you know, one of the reasons I love the school and, um, and, and you went to Dalhousie as well. I did. Which, yes, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the theme really of this episode is just that a, a law student asking a lawyer um, sort of about things that they wish that they knew or advice that they would be giving to law students. Uh, as they transition from being a student to, to a practicing lawyer. And I know that I think that 2L Recruit has just sort of entirely, I could be wrong, but entirely ended 
across Canada. And so a lot of law students have careers on the brain, or at least I do, and trying to figure out the type of law that you're interested in or, or you know, the type of law that fits you. And so my first question to you is, is how, you know, how you found your practice, your, you know, defense practice. And is that something that you discovered in school? Is that something that you knew previous to even going to law school? Because I know some people have the intention, um, you know, or, yeah, just talk me through that of, of how you landed where you were. Yeah, I, I did not know. I thought that maybe I would um, teach because I loved my undergraduate experience and I loved being in school. And I, um, you know, I, I like uh, talking. I like explaining things to people. I like engaging with people. And so I thought maybe I would teach. I wasn't really sure. And I got the criminal law bug like so many other criminalists in and around the country through the criminal clinic, you know, some sort of clinical experience very often triggers what becomes like a lifelong love affair. And for me, it was the criminal clinic at Dell and, you know, Justice Barbara Beach was um, the, the leader of that program. She retired recently and I don't know if she's still part of the program now, um, but it's a wonderful program at Dalhousie where law students get to shadow um, lawyers in the Crown's office, uh, lawyers on the defense side and judges doing criminal work and, and then doing other activities like mooting, um, visiting the federal penitentiary um, and, you know, engaging on special topics related to criminal law. So that's where I got the bug and many, of, <laughs> many students in my cohort did as well. And that was kind of the, the thing for me. I just knew immediately when I started doing that work that, that that's what I would do for the rest of my life. And I think clinical experience is really important. And uh, I know that sometimes the clinical programs get underfunded or under-resourced and they can be threatened um, in various institutions at various times. And I think one of, and I hope I, I'm just going to give unsolicited advice throughout this interview, Maddie, so brace yourself. <laughs> like get like get in there even if you think you're going to be a solicitor I think that you know having some clinical experience in your in your law school um years is really important to connect with the community and really understand how lawyers can serve the community and in, in a kind of a frontline basis I think is really really important and you know you often don't know what the thing will be until you try it. You know, you can have some instincts, but I think it's worth um, giving these things a shot. And, you know, truthfully, I might've found myself in other areas of people law. You know, I might've found myself doing employment or family, um, but there is a certain magic to criminal defense for sure. Yeah. Oh, so exciting. Well, thank you. I know I, I believe, yeah, the criminal law clinic is alive and well at Dalhousie, which is great to see. I know I um, I participated in the legal aid, the Dalhousie legal aid in my first year with not with respect to, to criminal law, but with tenancy rights. And that was an incredible experience. Yeah. And I think, again, you can go back in third year and sort of kind of, you know, tether all of the things that you learned in the classroom to actually practical experience. And I really hope that I can fit that into my schedule because I can just see that, 
you know, once you start practicing, it's going to help so much, I think with confidence and, and everything. And, and also trying to figure out again, like where your interests lie. And that's interesting that you say people law and people lies. It's definitely like this niche type, but it spans so many different types of law. For instance, I'm interested in employment law. And so I think I heard someone describe it as people law. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's what draws me to it. Um, but that's so, that's so exciting. And then, so was it, you know, at first when you were interested in criminal law, did you know if you wanted to act sort of more with the crown or with the defense, or is that something that you figured out with time? I am, um, just my natural orientation is defense side for sure. You know, I've always been, um, kind of an anti-establishment kind of girl and um, really interested in challenging the state and challenging authority. And so that was my natural kind of lean um, from the outset. But I think what most criminalists will tell you is that the longer they stay in the practice, the more they tend to appreciate the other side of the courtroom and the more likely they are to be able to switch hats. So, you know, longtime criminal defense lawyers would say, yeah, I could prosecute that case, you know, no problem. And really excellent and experienced crown attorneys could equally kind of switch places in, in the courtroom. So you become, it's very interesting, you become less partisan and less partial as you move through um, your years and as you, you become more, more senior. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see that, that how that evolves when your colleagues become judges, you know, to see um, your colleagues on the Crown side or on the defense side become judges and the kind of judges become. It's very interesting. Oh, have you thought then as a follow-up question, whether you wanted to hop to the Crown side at all yet, or are you still very firmly on the defense side? You know, I think I think the thing that would would uh, be is a bit prohibitive in Ontario anyway <laughs> to, to act for the crown is um, is the degree to which your discretion as a crown is fettered by global policies on um, various types of charges um, in in various cases, and I think I would find that really difficult because you know practicing as a private defense lawyer, um, I'm able to give my best advice and take instructions. Um, and so I'm able to, to practice in a really autonomous, independent way. And um, I, I think that my colleagues on the Crown side sometimes have to bite their tongue, <laughs> you know, as they're making submissions. And um, and I, I think I would find that really hard at this stage of my career. I think that would be the biggest impediment. There's no philosophical imp impediment at this point. Well, except for I am a prison ab abolition abolitionist. So that would be a bit difficult. The jail thing would be a problem, Maddie. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, fair, understandable of the whole concept itself, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, that's interesting. So then, so do you have any advice then for students who are interested in criminal law, but then don't know, like which side of the table they want to sit on yet? Or is that like through clinical experience that, you know, you would figure that out? Yeah, yeah. like, truthfully, the best are the ones who've done 
both, you know, those, those people. And, and my partner, Scott Hutchison is in that category. He was um, a crown for 17 years before he went to the defense side. And, you know, he is just an absolute uh, rock star and unstoppable because of that experience, you know, um, that that's really interesting. I mean, if you can somehow build in experience on both sides, then, then you're really killing it. And, um, but I, you know, I think just flow with your, your gut and your instinct and where the opportunity is, you know, I don't get too hung up on it. That's for sure. You know, um, the Ontario crown's office was on a bit of a, a hiring blitz. I don't know if they they still are. And, uh, and that's kind of rare. So I think those students that feel like, you know, I might like that kind of work, that kind of crown work should go for it. I mean, um, there's a huge opportunity. It's amazing experience. Crowns are on their feet every day, um, getting tons of trial experience. And it's, it's really fun. It's a, it's a huge contribution. It's meaningful work. So I would never dissuade anyone who thought they were interested in, in crowning from giving it a shot. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, and, and kind of building off of that, then you said, you know, follow your instinct. Um, and I'm curious, like for you, when did you know that like, yes, this, you know, type of law is for me, or I guess in the inverse, how do you know when, you know, the area of law that you're currently interested in isn't for you? Like, is, was there a time for you when you were practicing other types of law and you thought, no, like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go elsewhere or yeah, if you could speak to that. Yeah. Well, I, I did have a gig articling on Bay street. Um, it, and I, and I had lined up that position before I did the criminal clinic. So, um, I finished my articles on Bay street, um, and did a litigation rotation and a corporate rotation. Um, and, and then I worked uh, at Eddie Greenspan's office on an external ro rotation. So it was a real breadth of experience and I was very, very lucky. Um, and I think, you know, it's really interesting. You're kind of caught me at an interesting time, Maddie, because, um, you know, now that I'm, what am I, 15 years out, 16 years out, my practice is evolving to be less exclusively criminal law. And I'm doing more um, cases in civil litigation, estates, um, a little bit of family, mm. um, investigations. So my practice is really diversifying in a way that I had not predicted. And I assumed that I would be completely consumed by passion for criminal defense every day of my life until I died. And I don't think that was wrong, but I think that I was wrong about not liking other parts of the law. I think that I dismissed other parts of litigation, areas of litigation as boring, <laughs> not kind of sexy enough, you know? No. Um, and I was just wrong about that. I, you know, the, the, the stuff that I'm doing now and the, the cases that I'm able, so fortunate to, to work on now are just wildly interesting and challenging. And, and, you know, you're not, it's not the same as criminal law. You're not, you're less likely to have a trial at the end of the day, but the challenges are um, highly intellectual and, 
um, it, you know, and meeting new colleagues is so fun. And, um, and I was a bit close-minded in my youth, you know, I thought like criminal defense or bust and, mm. and I, and that really kind of narrowed my perspective. And I think what I would encourage people to do, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. It's like a little bit of balance. It's a yin and yang, right? Like on the one hand, trust your instincts and, you know, follow your passion. But on the other hand, like keep a, an open mind at the same time, like, you know, pay attention in your property law class. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, never know. you never know, you never know. And like the thing that's so amazing about the common law is that there are analogies to be found everywhere, right? There, there, there is a thread that, that weaves its way through all of the common law and to, to be narrow-minded really is, uh, does your, yourself a disservice and also your clients because the broader your perspective, I think um, the better of an advocate you are. And so, you know, just don't be exclusive in your, in your pursuits, I guess that's the, the other thing I would say. Oh, that's so refreshing to hear. I know a lot of people, I mean, they say, you know, go into law school with an open mind, but then like pretty quickly try to figure out, you know, where you want to sit. So to hear that, um, I think will be helpful to a lot of our listeners. And, and do you know then like how your practice started to evolve to incorporate like family and all of those things? Or is that like cases you were interested that you took on or how did that come about? Well, you know, it, it really has to do with the evolution of the firm. Um, and because I was in a small firm um, dynamic from my call to the bar, I started practicing with Marie Hennon right after my call. And we were a firm of maybe four lawyers and we've been getting bigger and bigger every year. And we started building out a civil side of the practice, a civil litigation side of the practice about 10 years ago. And, um, and so as new civil lawyers join us with different, um, different expertise and different experiences and different books of business. Um, I will get an opportunity to work with them, to partner with them on files. And so it's really through relation, those relationships, you know, and firm building that I've been able to expand my practice. Um, and so that's how I've been gaining experience on the civil side. And then investigations is something that I started doing um, uh, really as a corollary to the, the criminal work. Um, and so lots of criminal defense lawyers around the country do investigation work for um, uh, employers, uh, big institutions, um, other uh, agencies. And that work is really fascinating um, and, and really, really fun. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's been a, a kind of a wild ride in the last 10 years or so because of all these different opportunities that have come my, my way. And I, and I do, as much as I fault my younger self for being kind of narrow-minded, I, I do think that um, I was right to kind of not be afraid and to take up new challenges and step out of my comfort zone and, and try new things. And I think that that helps you stay fresh and, uh, and grateful for the profession. You know, this is, it's such... Um, and what I want your listeners to hear very, very clearly from me is, 
you did the right thing. It's really fucking expensive. Like, I'm very sorry. Your fees are really expensive. It's terrible. And that's a really bad problem that someone's going to have to fix sometime. But you made the right call. You did the right thing. You are about to enter a profession that will offer you like untold challenge and meaning and community. uh, And you have the potential to be really, really happy here. I feel like that's very validating to hear. I know, especially as like two L's in their second semester, they start to be like, Ooh, is this really the right choice? Is this worth it? Like, you know, not really like there's, especially I guess with COVID as well, there's a lot of uncertainty now, but to hear that. Right. And then even still like, you know, years into your practice, you can still shift and evolve and change. And it's, you know, nothing is set in stone. So that's set in stone. And I, I, I wanted to kind of hear from you, Maddie, more about like what the feeling is on campus. Like how are students doing? Like, is it bleak? Like, <laughs> like what's happening? Oh gosh. I mean, whew, it's not bleak. I won't use bleak. Um, but, and I think, you know, at least in Halifax, things are really just starting to open up. And so yeah. people are very eager to get out and about and meet up with each other. I'm off to a birthday party after our conversation, which I'm so looking forward to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was tough in first year. So I'm in, in second year. So really my entire first year was online, but the students that I kind of was grouped with in our sort of small groups that we've moved through school with, um, we're so eager to make sure that we met up like weekly and we had study groups and really trying to form those relationships because we've heard time and time again that these are the people like these are your colleagues right these are your future colleagues and so um it's yeah but it's difficult like it you know not having the classroom atmosphere even to just mingle before class mingle after class uh, I think has changed things and has made people a little worried, you know, that when they start practice, that gap between law school and reality is maybe even larger than it would have been, uh, you know, had COVID not happened. But still, like, you know, we still hide out in the libraries. We still, like, slave over textbooks together. So that hasn't changed. Um, but the school is, you know, has done a lot to make sure that, you know, we still feel connected, even though we may be doing class from, from online or, or things like that, but yeah. So not bleak. Good. I'm really, <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad to hopeful is good. Hopeful's yeah, good. very much. So I know you mentioned that, you know, you started working with Marie and I really wanted to talk about this because I think it's something that a lot of law students are interested in, but from what I can gather from sort of past interviews and, and things that you've said is you were very determined to work with Marie. And, and, you know, for our listeners who don't know, she's an incredibly, also an incredibly talented defense attorney in Toronto. Definitely look her up. I think she just wrote a book, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. definitely worth uh, checking out, but, but you really pursued her as I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of a mentorship relationship, you know, in, yeah. in learning everything. And, And so I'd love for you to speak about, you know, how you went about that. And then, you know, I don't know if it's changed today, but for law students, how do they find that mentorship relationship or if it's worth it really? Yeah, I mean, I I do think that finding a mentor is really important and certainly the, the key chapter in my story is meeting Marie 
convincing Marie to take me on and then, you know, not leaving her side (laughs) for years is, is really, um, how I learned to do what I do. Um, and I think that I, I worry a little bit that there's honestly, Maddie, an over-focus on finding a mentor and, um, Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't want my story to kind of contribute in a negative way to that because, um, you know, there's a few caveats, right? Um, criminal law is, um, is a very niche and it's small community, uh, and law firms tend to be small. And so, um, that was something that was not unusual in criminal practice that you would kind of cozy up to a barrister and follow them around for years, <laughs> you know, like that, that happens, um, at Frank Adario's office that happened, of course, at Eddie Greenspan's office and, and at Mark Rosenberg's office and at Mark Sandler's office. And you see, you see that there, that's kind of pattern that happens in criminal law, but it's not a pattern that you see in other areas of the law necessarily, and so, you know, I, I, I don't want people to feel like this is the only way to kind of make it is to find yourself a mentor and, and criminally harass them and, and not leave their, leave their side. You know, there are, there are other, other ways to learn your craft. And I think a lot of people have been really successful in finding many mentors, you know, um, and others are are really successful hanging up their shingle right after law school and figuring things out on the fly, you know, getting the mentorship um, in uh, in kind of a patchwork way, going to CPD events, attending court and observing, you know, going to coffee with, with senior lawyers and kind of stitching it together in a way that works for them. And, um, you know, it, it is the case, and I was just speaking to a, 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 our other guest on the podcast about this, that there's research that, um, you know, racialized lawyers, lawyers who are foreign trained, um, uh, lawyers from dis- disadvantaged backgrounds, don't get those same mentorship opportunities that I got. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think that's a terrible shame. And we need, we need to fix that. And I know that Lots of firms are making conservative efforts on the EDI front to, to change and challenge that. But I think like the other lesson is that's not, that's not a total barrier to success in this, in this profession. And um, you, you can make it uh, without finding your kind of Yoda. You don't need a Yoda. I had a Yoda. She's wonderful. And, and I was extremely, extremely lucky Um, but you don't, if that, if your Yoda doesn't come along, you, you can still have a wonderful life in this profession. So don't, you know, don't, and it's just like, there's so much pressure. Like, I don't want to put pressure on more pressure on people that they've got to find like their guy or their, you know, and that might not happen. So, you know, I think the thing is like to just try to soak up every experience and to, to draw as much as you can from every lawyer that you meet, that you admire, and you'll take something away, you know, even in the clinical experience that, that you do at law school. I, mm-hmm. I um, shadowed a wonderful lawyer in Halifax 
named Brad Sarson, who um, uh, uh, was a public defender in, in Halifax. And I learned so much from him for just a, a, a few months. And so, you know, you, you just kind of have to be awake. Yeah. You got to be awake and ready to receive the lessons and the learnings. Hmm. Be the sponge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's- that's good to, again, like probably, hopefully for our listeners, refreshing to hear instead of having this pressure that you need to kind of go out and again, find that person. Cause I know I was told that, um, that you really need to, so I was emailing firms like crazy and, and, you know, and again, still talking to people, but, you know, having that mentorship relationship in mind and, you know, worried that if I didn't have that, then yeah, for somehow you're, you're behind. So that's, that's great to hear that you can do it without a Yoda, which I love. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> it's very relevant. Um, so that's awesome. I, I wanted to ask, I mean, a little bit about advocacy because I am interested in it, but you know, from again, past interviews that I've listened to, it seemed like before that you came to law school and, and I think probably during your undergrad, you had a wide variety of jobs in your life. I think you had mentioned that you had, you know, worked at Tim Hortons and I think worked at a go-kart track. Um, and I'm curious as to how, or if sort of skills that you've pulled um, from those jobs helped you in the courtroom or things that surprised you that you're like, oh, this, like I never knew that a skill like this would translate as well as it did. Um, do you have any that, that come to mind? I think there are two, two aspects of my kind of pre-law experience that do bear on, on kind of trial advocacy. And the, the first is that if you've, if you've worked in the service industry, then you've, you've come into contact with lots of different types of people. And you, uh, I think, gain a perspective on your community and the Canadian public that you wouldn't necessarily gain otherwise. And so much of trial work is about understanding people, you know, really understanding what makes someone tick, what are incentives or disincentives for someone, um, uh, you know, what does it mean when someone has a certain job or lives in a certain neighborhood? Um, and, you know, you do a lot of creative thinking around how you're going to approach the witness. And there's a gap if you don't, if you're not, if you're totally disconnected from your community, or you don't really understand um, what people are like, uh, because you've spent your whole life studying in a closet <laughs> or, um, you know, you're, you're, you've been in an ivory tower and you don't really get people, you know? So I think those of us who've had the, 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 the privilege and the pain of waitressing and bartending and um, retail work and working at the go-kart track, I think, yeah. um, you know, you, you get to know people and, and that's really what being a trial lawyer is about. And the other piece is like, something that I've realized a bit later in my career is I think there's a lot of trial lawyers that come to the work from the performance angle. And that's where I'd really be interested in your, your perspective, Maddie, like, um, you know, the thing that attracts them to the work is that they're going to have a bunch of eyeballs on them, you know, and that there's going to be a beginning and middle of an end of a performance. And, 
Um, and that's what kind of makes them feel alive and jazzed and great about the work. And then there are other um, trial lawyers who come at it really from the kind of intellectual love of the law lens, right? It's like really the love of legal argument. And, um, and that's the thing that really gets them going. And then there are others who are kind of, you know, may have a background in criminology or social work, right? Where it's really about the human story. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, um, how someone was hurt, how they can be healed. And, mm -hmm. and then some of us have different combinations of that, of those kind of aspects. But I, what I really enjoy is meeting other lawyers, other litigators, and trying to figure that out. Like, what are, what angle are you coming from? You know, and, um, and that's, that's really, really fun. I, I definitely fit in the, in the performer category. I don't know. Do you think that that's, that's your slot? I mean, you're, you are an artist, like you're a filmmaker. And so I would just wonder how that translates. Yeah. Um, I think I do. I mean, yeah, I'm a bit of a dramatic. So I do love the whole idea of not necessarily a performance because it needs to be, you know, genuine, of course, but, yeah. you know, the fact that you are telling a story and really trying to figure out how, like, what's the most persuasive way that you could tell that. Um, and so for me, I know when I came to law school, so before that, I have worked in film um, in a variety of different capacities and, you know, was, had, written screenplays before. Um, and that was a skill that I had no idea would translate so well to yeah. fact writing. Um, you know, primarily even just like the layout that you have on the page and how even just adjusting it ever so slightly completely changes the feeling that when people are reading it. And so I really was shocked when I, like in, in my first year, when I was writing my fact of how fun it was and how much I loved crafting that written argument. I was like, oh my goodness, it's just like writing a script. Okay, I got this. And so, um, yeah, I, and I was just, yeah, applying everything that I had learned from there into fact and writing and it translated so well. And then when it comes to oral advocacy, I do enjoy it. I do enjoy public speaking. I loved that as a kid. I would always do like plays at home and things. So I just am imagining that when, I mean, like, to be honest though, I don't know if I've had the true experience because, you know, 1L and 2L, both of my moots have been on Zoom. So I'm very eager. I think within a week I get to stand up and, and finally give the whole performance that, I, that I've been thinking about. The, the jazz hands will come out. Definitely. Oh yeah. Oh, they are, they are itching to come out. I am so excited. But um, yeah, I, that's interesting of trying though to like understand the approach that different lawyers have to advocacy. I haven't really, you know, looked at it that way before, but. Um, I'm so, I'm so heartened to hear Maddie that you've, you've already kind of figured out how your prior experience and passion can be weaved into practice. Like, I just think that's so great. I, I think a lot of people don't understand how creative um, the practice can be and, and how we really do exercise those muscles a lot. You know, I spend a lot of time in preparation for trial, just like lying on the floor of my office, <laughs> thinking about the problem, just trying to crack it, you know, trying 
to figure out a creative way through to the end. Um, you know, what's the, what's the hook. And, um, and I think, you know, that's, that's part of what is so exciting and so fulfilling about the work is that you, you get to kind of, um, you know, work out those, um, that energy that you, you have from other aspects of your life. Yeah. I, 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 again, was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it because it felt so creative. I don't know, you know, obviously it's not always like that, but I, in law school, that is by far my favorite part is factum writing. We're, We're currently writing a factum and I was like working on it all before our chat today and thinking like, oh, this is so cool. Or, oh, I need to find this case because it, you know, the conclusion needs to be stronger. So that's uh, great. And like you're, you're the discipline of being able to sit down, sit your ass down and write is huge. So, you know, a lot of us, <laughs> myself <laughs> included, really struggle with that part of it you know, sitting down and writing. So if you've, you've got that self-discipline already is your uh, leg up, my friend. Well done. I'll definitely say it's sprinkled with many breaks though, but sure. yes, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. are, there are many snack breaks in that. So yes, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> um, I, I don't know like our time and what it's looking like, but I, I do have one question that I, um, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it a little bit before in my, in my previous questions, but that gap between law school and actual practice, I know in the lawyer's lounge episode, I think it's the most recent one you and Marie were talking about um, how law school is really kind of reform thinking school and it teaches you how to think, but then it, you know, in practice, you get sort of those day-to-day skills. Um, But did you notice that when you graduated from law school to initial practice that there was kind of this flailing moment and then you and then you find your way or was it seamless or and I guess things you could do to help it's really interesting I think it goes back to your last question I think because I had spent so uh, much of my uh, life working part-time jobs and interacting with the public and um, attempting to present myself in a professional way that I think it maybe was less of a awkward transition for me than Mm -hmm. for some of my colleagues who, you know, had spent most of their time studying, you know, working, uh, at school as opposed to in the world. And, um, you know, so I think, I think I had a bit of an advantage in that respect that I didn't, I didn't feel awkward speaking to clients, interviewing witnesses, um, you know, attending business meetings. I felt a bit, I felt a bit awkward, um, uh, you know, in, in, in like those usual ways, like, am I wearing the right shoes? Does my blazer fit properly? You know, that sort of thing. But um, I, I felt prepared for life as a professional, I guess, is what I would say. Um, but I think like the thing that, that I would recommend your listeners start thinking about, and it, and it's not it's low key. Okay. Like don't freak out, but, uh, is the business of law. Mm. No, I think you don't, you're not going to learn anything about that in law school and you shouldn't, but just start to like, think about it. And when you do, if you're doing something in, in the summer, just try to pay attention to, you know, how is your time being billed out to a client? How did this lawyer uh, get this mandate? How did this come into their lap? Mm -hmm. Was it through a relationship? Did it come through someone in the firm? 
Is it someone that they go to church with? Is it someone they ski with? Like, how did this business come to the lawyer that you're working with? And how is your time being charged to the client? And just keep your eye on it. Like take a, just observe it and take notice of it. And I think that's all you really need to do this summer and, and through your articles. But, you know, I think understanding how the business of law works is your ticket to independence, autonomy, and power as you move through the profession. And so there's, there's so much to learn and think about, and you really want to focus on being good at what you're, what you're being asked to do, right. As a student, but just stay alive to that because it'll become important later and don't ignore it because it's boring. Okay. Cause it is a bit boring. Like some of us are just not really interested in the money part, but the money part is really important to your future. So just pay attention. Okay. No, I'm sure that's great. I mean, I don't think I've had that piece of advice before of like, look, there's this whole other side of it, especially if you do choose to work, you know, in a big firm, or if you're interested in creating your own firm that yes, like there is an entire, there's the business side of it. So um, thank you. That's, Oh, that's good advice. And I, uh, I mean, I have one more question for you. I don't know how we are on time at all. I've definitely lost track of it. Um, so no, I mean, it was really, uh, like the final, like, is there anything you would have done differently in your legal career? Not regrets, but something that you thought like, well, I either, I mean, I guess there's opportunity in everything, but anything at all, either like in school, was there something that you thought like, oh, I should have, you know, joined more clubs or taken these different classes or, or anything of that sort? I am, I definitely, so I, two, two things that fall in the regret category. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should have paid more attention in certain classes, like for sure. Like I really, which classes I'm like, oh, no. I like property and tax. And I definitely should have paid more attention. Definitely. Definitely. I really, really regret that. And the second thing is I had my kids pretty shortly after law school. So I had my kids when I was 29. Mm-hmm. And so I was in my second year of practice when I had my kids and I, I kind of let some of my law school relationships go and, um, and I think it's because I was, you know, I was either, uh, dealing with family stuff or dealing with practice stuff. And I didn't leave any room for friend stuff. And, and I let some of those relationships go. And, and I really regret that because, um, you know, they, these were friends and colleagues that were, I was really close with at law school. And there's kind of no substitute for that team of people. And, um, you know, some of them have subsequently been repaired and, and I know some of them are going to get back to in good time and, and it'll be fine in the end, but I do regret losing touch with that community. And, um, and I ought to have made it a priority. And I hope that, that your listeners do hold those friendships close and dear. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Yes, I, I'm hoping that too. It's like, man, I better hear from you guys five years <laughs> My goodness. Also, like, I mean, 
they're such incredible people. I mean, that's like one of the beauties of law school. You've never, I've never been around people before where like each one that you meet, I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. tell me about your life. They're, yeah. they're so interesting. And I was like, I want to know like where you are in five, 10, 15 years out. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, that that's great advice. I, I would hope so, especially, you know, for any of our listeners that have started law school in COVID, I think hopefully we put in more effort to cultivate those relationships. And then, so it kind of, you know, extends to, to after school because law school is so short. I've kind of realized that now I'm like, Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm more than halfway through at this point. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think that your class, uh, um, it, like your cohort or students are going to be looking for way more work flexibility than previous years? Like, do you think that, you know, entering the market, you all are going to be wanting remote hybrid workspace. Like, do you think you're, or the opposite? Interesting question. I'm trying, I know there's definitely some people, I know like one of my good friends in law school has a family. So he's very focused on, you know, making sure that that work-life balance is a thing. And I also think, you know, the legal career does get a bad rap for being notorious of, you know, not always having that balance. So people are definitely more aware, but I also think people are just really excited to get back to like in office and yeah. sort of normal life. I know I am like my job this summer, I am so excited to dress up every day and, and go in and, and be part of an office setting. Yeah. I think we just really haven't had that in the last couple of years. So I am, I am eager, but I, I do think that people are thinking about it more so probably than they would have been yeah not hit so I think it's a mixture of both I maybe you know the allure of the office would wear off within a couple years but like you know once everything sort of normalizes but I know I'm currently excited to to get out that's great. We'll have to have like a reunion show in five years to see oh yes. you know, where, where we're at. Are we working remotely? Are we in office? How, how's Maddie doing all of it? Yes, I would love that. I mean, I mean, to, to circle back, like, do you find that people in your office, you know, with COVID obviously being the crazy thing that it is, are saying like, look, we could do work from home. Is law something that can be done from home or... I think that people have been really moved by the flexibility piece. Mm -hmm. Like I think that I, I don't know how many litigators really understood how much time they could spend working from their home office before. Mm -hmm. And I think that the flexibility is here to stay. Like I, I think that we're going to see a lot more um, hybrid workspaces um, and I, and I think it's pretty individual, you know? Um, so uh, the challenge of course, from, from a law firm leader is how do you make sure that you mentor, you, you kind of achieve the standard of mentorship that you want to um, in a hybrid space. I right. think that, that's, I think that's what law, law firm leaders are struggling with and trying to figure out. And, um, and it's, striking the right balance is tough. So I think, I think we'll see. We'll see. Hmm. We continued. Yeah. It depends. Time will yeah. tell. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's the classic <laughs> response. No. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that that's true, but it will change in, in some aspects. So 
I'm excited. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't have any more. I mean, I have a million questions, really. Um, but in the interest of time, I, I don't. Are there, do you have any questions for me or anything at all? But I, I just, I'm, I'm comforted by the, the feedback that, that law students are feeling hopeful. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that's great. And, you know, I would say that, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to local lawyers in, in your communities. And, um, and if you, you don't come from a legal background and you don't know any lawyers in, in, um, in your network, you know, you should reach out to a, a local lawyer and, and ask to have coffee and get to know how their practice works and, you know, don't be shy about that. Lawyers are super accommodating, most of us, and um, and really want to help out. And I think, I think the whole profession wants to help out. I've not spoken to a lawyer um, in the last two years who hasn't expressed deep sorrow that law students are mostly remote. I mean, everyone um, really feels for you guys, and um, you should be commended for getting through in these extraordinary circumstances. And you know, resilience is not nothing, baby. Like being able to get through in these times is not nothing. So it will serve you well in the future. And, and um, so we feel for you, but we're proud of you also. Oh, oh, thank you. I'm passing this along. I mean, to all of our listeners, and to <laughs> now like all at the birthday party today, I'm like, Kenyon Robitaille says this, we're doing fine. So <laughs> they're like, great. Um, so thank you for that. That's wonderful. I mean, I. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I've learned so much and you've, you've calmed a lot of my fears and hopefully a lot of our listeners' fears that we have about some of the uncertainty, uh, sort of the mystique of, of the legal world. So this has been, this has been truly, truly wonderful. Thank you. Oh, so for... great, Maddie. I'm happy to chat. Okay, well, I will, I'll let you go. I know it's Friday. I am well aware that you have a vacation to attend to. Um, but, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we chat again soon and have, have a great vacation. Take the time that Thank you need. You. Thank you. Have a great party tonight. Thank you. I will. <laughs> Qualifying and challenging expert evidence is an essential guide for legal practitioners participating in a criminal trial. The newest book in Iman's criminal law series this resource offers procedural, tactical, and strategic guidance on all stages of qualifying or challenging an expert witness. In the first part of the book, the authors walk through assessing and selecting an expert witness, preparing and questioning or cross-examining an expert witness, and navigating the various issues that may arise during a trial and sentencing. The second part of the book analyzes the specific types of evidence within the fields of medicine, law enforcement, science and technology, and sociology. This handbook is an indispensable courtroom reference for Crown, Defense, Counsel, and the Judiciary. To get your copy today, visit iman.ca slash LLP QCEE and enter promo code Lawyers Lounge for 10% off. Again, that's iman.ca slash LLP QCEE Promo code Lawyers Lounge for 10% off your copy of Qualifying and Challenging Expert Evidence. Well, special treat today, uh, listeners, I have Dr. Rebecca Dremko Bromwich here with us in the lounge. 
Uh, Rebecca is the uh, manager of EDI for all of Gowlings, uh, the national director for all of Gowlings of EDI. And she posted something on LinkedIn that was so apropos our topic today. And I just couldn't bear not having her on um, to describe this interaction that she recently had with students. And I'll let Rebecca take it away, but the title of um, the post on LinkedIn uh, asks this really provocative question, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger law student self? So Rebecca, tell me like what inspired that question and like, just tell the story. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah. So I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Um, well, I actually haven't, I shouldn't say that. I graduated from law school 20 years ago. And so uh, there was an announcement that was an upcoming 20 year reunion of my law school class at Queens. And then at the same time, I started uh, teaching again more in law schools. I'd been teaching undergrads and various people. So here I was sort of 20 years in teaching undergrads and teaching at University of Manitoba, Robson Hall, this class called Legal Systems, which is kind of an overview of What's it like to be a lawyer? What are what is the law like in Canada? Like almost like a like a, a homeroom, right? So wow. here I am, an adult with some accountability, right? And looking <laughs> at the legal profession and working in the capacity that I do, working with EDI and working specifically thinking about mental health and, and knowing what I know <laughs> yeah. um, about some of the challenges uh, with respect to the legal profession. How can I, it's sort of almost an ethical question, how can I in good conscience? you know, teach people to come here <laughs> and encourage them to do so. Like, what are the things we should, what should we be telling them? What are the valuable things that, you know, and, and in fairness, I'm actually pretty happy. Like I have a good job. I like my work. I really like the people I work with. So I found my way. Um, but knowing what I know about how challenging the legal profession can be, how many issues people have with mental health um, concerns, how, how much yeah. work it is, that, that was kind of, that was what brought me to that question. So I, I sent the students to do an assignment to not ask me, but ask other people. So I don't know if you want me to talk about how that worked, but. Yeah, um, so the, yeah. so so you're, you're teaching in Manitoba, you've got a class of students and you actually assign them this question. Yeah, so I said, okay, it's an assignment. It was a pass-fail assignment. So some assignments are graded in this class and some are pass-fail. And this one was, you need to call a lawyer or you know, email them or whatever, but you have to set up some sort of conversation whether it's by Zoom or whatever, which is kind of an advantage. We don't necessarily have to do everything in person. It allows people to reach out into more remote regions now and ask them for some advice. Like, what would you tell our class? What, wow. tell me about, so it was first like, tell me about you. Like, what do you do? And then tell our class what we should, what would you tell you, you know? And, and so there's sort of two objectives there. Well, three, actually, there's three objectives to that. One if students are reaching out to lawyers actually practicing in a variety of different regions, it's different from the picture of their lens they're going to get on what the law, law legal profession is based on recruitment, because there are only large firms that have a recruitment budget. Right. And so the vast majority of lawyers, whether you know the numbers change year to year, 75 to 85 percent of lawyers are not working in these large national firms. The majority of lawyers, the majority of lawyers are not going to be doing what the recruiters are sort of promoting, which is fine. But yeah. it also provides, it's a bit misleading for students, right? So that's the first thing is for students to get a more accurate, reliable picture. Oh um, my God, but Rebecca, I'm just going to pause you because yeah. <laughs> just, that's so true. For many law students, their very first interaction with a real practicing lawyer will be 
someone on a recruitment tour. Yep, for sure. And, right. And we, you know, we send our good people on recruitment sure. tours. Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. But, but they are, they, so that is an interaction with a particular, you know, type of practice. Yes. Someone with a particular agenda, right? And yeah. they're trying to elicit applications and there's sort of nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a business, but that is true. That's unless you are from a family of lawyers or socialized with lawyers, that is going to be your first interaction with a practicing lawyer. And it's, it's largely, you know, you know, and I just wanted to disrupt that a little bit, Mm. create a different opportunity for our students to interact with lawyers. So there was, there was that also that opportunity for them to connect. The second one was um, I wanted to know what the answers were. <laughs> selfishly as well as for other people like what do you what do people say what is their advice I'm you know I I, I say all the time I mean, I'm 45 years old I don't know what I want to be when I grow up I've done great stuff that I enjoy in the legal profession but you know it changes all the time what what my interests are and things like that um so what is the advice right there's all this collective wisdom that we can glean here yeah. uh, and, and then the third one and it ended up this emerged this was part of what I was thinking but it it emerged um as we as we were discussing it, and it became more significant when I do this assignment again, um, to an avenue for exploration of equity, diversity, and inclusion kind of dimensions to that mm-hmm. interaction. So one thing that came up is is a variety of people, and I'm glad they were comfortable enough to raise this with me. Said I'm not that comfortable reaching out. I feel uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. There were reasons like oh, this is just an unfamiliar setting for me. I, I have never con- contacted a lawyer before, and then there were some who were worried, which was interesting that that the lawyer would perceive them as, you know, trying to pick them up, basically. Right. It was an interesting dimension, actually, that had not occurred to me. Um, and so it was an opportunity for us to talk about professional networking and professional boundaries. And because you actually, you know, you do have to talk to other okay. lawyers. Yeah. You do have to do that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but also to, to think about, you know, what are the, the boundaries of, of professionalism in, the, in that context on both sides? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it was... Uh, I think it was an assignment that went over well enough that we put it up on the blog of Rocks and Crim, like as a blog post of what did people say? What was the advice? And I thought there was some great advice. Well, yeah. Tell, tell me about some of the advice that came back. Well, one, one person said be a doctor, which I thought was fun. <laughs> Posted that. I was like, okay, fine. Another person said, and and, and just to go from the, the very glib to the much more serious, um, think carefully about vicarious trauma and, and think about, that and, and make sure you take care of yourself. And that came from, you know, I know who they came from. I didn't completely anonymize it um, unless people requested it, but that, that was from somebody who'd worked in the criminal defense context with young people in Manitoba and had seen a lot of horrifically traumatic things. And I'm sure Danielle, that you can relate to that in, in, in the criminal law context, you see difficult things. In the family law context, you deal with dif- difficult things and you sort of take part in other people's problems yeah. and you have to take care of yourself. So that was a very serious thing. And that was something that became evident to me in practice, but nobody ever said that to me in first year law school. So it was an interesting opportunity to an entry point into that conversation. Uh, another person said, um, don't worry too much about your grades, which is kind of an obvious point for those of us in practice, but I think law students do need to hear that. Mm-hmm. They, they're all coming in from a sort of bottleneck of everyone who gets into law school has good grades in undergrad. Yeah. And, you know, by virtue of the fact that now you're all in law school, you're not all going to get an A. I mean, it's just, you are in a different pool now, right? And the right. grades are, are, you know, spread in a different way. So that was an important thing to note that, you know, and this wasn't one of the, the answers, but, you know, what, what do you call someone who gets a C in law school? Well, you call them a lawyer, right? <laughs> so that's, you know, an important thing to, to look at. We're looking at things in a different way. 
Um, there was a lot. Like it's on the blog post. I'm trying to think of some other examples, but uh, there were there were many examples that I just thought were quite useful. One was, um, um, you know, don't worry if you don't have your dream job right away. Like you you will find your footing eventually. Right. Just work your way through. Uh, it might change over time. And were there any bits of advice that you felt the need to intervene and say, well, that's not, <laughs> that's, don't take that advice. That's bad advice. Interestingly enough, and I really commend um, the people who answered it. I didn't yeah. see anything that I thought was just, you know, completely inappropriate or, or bad advice. I mean, I think it's important to have critical distance from anything you hear. Um, I think uh you know, for example, there were a couple of people who responded who had been in the same firm for their whole career. And it, they were sort of leaning towards the theme of really trust your mentors and trust your, your principles and not your principles with LE, but, you know, your articling principle. And yeah. that works when it works. But I think it's important that, you know, the, the legal profession doesn't love us back. And we have to be careful who we bring in, at, who we listen to as a mentor, who we right. listen to and, and um, make sure that we seek out appropriate mentors. And of course, there's a diversity dimension that, to that too, because historically, certainly, and, and this is, we have data on this relatively recently, women and people who are diversely identified by reason of race or other uh, dimensions, their social identity, have more challenges finding mentors, just as a numbers game too. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. So I think that there are like implicit assumptions in that, like trust your mentors means you, the implicit assumption there is that you have one mm. and that that person has your back. And you can't always assume that's the case. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it, none of us have, it's not like a cookie cutter profession where there's one, one track to, to success or a fulfilling life. Yeah. Um, that's what, totally true. Yeah. What uh, advice would adult Rebecca give law student Rebecca? So, I mean, I've, I've struggled with this a little bit. There's sort of two pieces um, and they're related. But one is, so a piece of feedback that I got in law school that I, it still bothers me, you know, when negative feedback stays with you, right? Mm. And as if somebody said that I was trying too hard. And I just, it really bothered me at the time. Like it was a professor, a feedback in a moot. And I was like, you're trying too hard. And I'm like, how can anyone try too hard? You know, um, but oh. to, some, to some extent. Bullshit. But there is, like, I hated it. But there is some legitimacy to that because um, I was so stressed out as a law student. Had I known how it would end, I would have had a better time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I was working so hard to get good grades. I was working hard, so hard to do all the relative, relevant volunteer work and, and you participate in all the things and the moots and the law journal and everything like that. Yeah. And I didn't have to do all of those things. I could have done well at one or two of them, but I was, as a law student, trying to do all the things and be good at, at, at all of them. And I think that that is, you know, I would tell younger me that, you know, it's, it's kind of trite, but I am enough, right? That it's, mm. that you know, even if I decide not to be a lawyer, even if I, even if I thought, you know, this isn't for me, I would tell younger me, you know what, you are enough. And you don't like, not so much, you don't have to do this, but asking the question, I would ask myself, why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? Why do this? Because, you know, I did a lot of things because as law students are, you know, and I was, you know, I did well in law school as well. Like, um, you're trying so hard to do well. That's the personality type. They're people who are high achieving. Like, you're going to work hard to do your best all the time. And and so the question is, like, why? And how does this serve you kind of thing? 
So I would tell, and then the other thing I would tell younger lawsuit me is um, there is this momentum and there, there is this path of least resistance. And what's going to feel the most successful in law school um, is going to be getting the jobs of recruiters coming to you with, right? Yeah. And I did, you know, I did. I, I went and worked at, at, a, at a big firm into article and, and I love the people I work with, had a good experience. Um, but I, I probably, I also did an LLM in youth criminal justice because I really cared about it. And I was very passionate about the subject matter. Yeah. And so I, I thought to myself, well, I'll take this job. It's going to be great. Um, it, you know, pays reasonably. And, and uh, I was going to learn a lot. And I did. And all of that's true. But I would tell younger me to pause a little longer and think about, you know, what am I really passionate about? And have a little faith, trust a little bit more that it might be possible to, you know, align my work with my dreams a little bit more. That's, that's so, what, yeah, that's so important. And I do think for the law students that are listening, like, you need, you need to make sure you're not on the bachelor. Like, you know how on the bachelor, it doesn't matter who the guy is. All the bachelorettes are crazy for him. It's because it's set up as a competition and there's like a psychological phenomenon, right? That you set up someone as the bachelor. Everyone wants to date him. You bring law firms on a recruitment week and it's a competition and everyone, you know, wants to win the job, but it does make sense to pause and think like, Hey, is this what I really want? Does this actually align with, with my goals and objectives in life? I think that's so important. I would tell, I would, I would tell my younger self to pay attention in the classes that I thought were irrelevant to my future career. You know, like I, uh, or the, you know, the classes that I was disinterested in, I think I would pay a lot more attention and, and try a lot harder in tax and, business and property. And I, I regret not kind of taking advantage of, of the amazing profs we had at Dow and, and really kind of um, focused a bit more on those classes. Because it turns out, you know what, like all of the laws interconnected and there are analogies to be found everywhere. And, um, you know, you, you are never going to regret learning something about another um, area of the law, another discipline. And as you progress as you're in your career as a litigator, opportunities expand into other areas and, and having a, a solid foundation is really worth your while. So I would, I would tell my lazy ass law student self to wake up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. It's funny you mentioned The Bachelor. So because when I was articling, it was the first season of The Bachelor. And so we actually used to use that analogy. And when I articled, it wasn't 100% higher back either. And so it was an interesting situation where it was, it was actually a pretty toxic environment. Yeah. Um, and so to, to sort of think through that, because if you, if you sort of look at it in another way, then law school can be a lot less of a toxic environment too, right? If you don't think it's The Bachelor, like I still am waiting for a day on The Bachelor where every woman or The Bachelorette, everyone decides, you know what, actually, never mind. Let's never all just, mind. Yeah. yeah. Let's all make friends in this mansion. We'll have a good time. And like, none of us stays that guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. That- no, I'm, I'm waiting for that season too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, in all serious, that's, that's game theory. That's, um, you know, the beautiful mind kind of idea. It, it is actually a, like a, a mathematical theory of, of advancing. If you look at it a different way, we can do better. What, Rebecca, what's the feeling on campus these days? What, what is happening culturally? Are, are are all the students just depleted, exhausted? Um, 
is, is what's the feeling? So, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, the thing is that, um, I'm not actually on campus because it's been all online. Yeah. And so it, there isn't a kind of, that's a loss. Like something has been lost. And I think as a society, we can sort of collectively grieve, collectively grieve that. But the law student experience without an opportunity to sit and like in a study group and like drink coffee together and yeah. be in a place. And then, you know, all the, all the joking and the friendships that would be formed alongside that. I mean, I think that's a loss for students. Um, at Robson Hall, everyone's coming back now. So yeah. they are starting to come back. And so the students who went through, there are students who've gone through basically almost their whole law school career at one end or another uh, online after two yeah. years of pandemic. And I do think uh, in on the one hand, students have been able to stay in their own networks, whatever they are, in their home or with their friends in their existing lives. Because I teach students um, who are theoretically in, in Winnipeg, but many of them are actually not physically in Winnipeg at all. They're in Vancouver and other places because they would have gone there and they would have had this experience of, of relocation and dislocation. And sometimes that's bad. Like there can be alienation associated with that, but it sure. also, you don't form a cohort in the same way. Yeah. And I think in a way it's, it's easier to feel alienated. Um, and I know that, you know, there's lots of stats about youth mental health in general, and, and mental health of workers with respect to the pandemic. I haven't seen the research specifically with law students, but I would say it would be largely consistent that there's just been a lot of isolation. And um, it's in some ways a missed opportunity to form kind of bonds. Cause I'm still yeah. friends with people I went to law school with 20 yeah. years like yeah. it's, um, So I hope that they have been able to form those bonds in online ways, but I'd say that that is, uh, you know, people feel, you know, disgorge. I mean, the economy is not that bad. There are jobs to be had which is good. Yes. I mean, yeah. that was a concern. So sometimes that is the kind of uniting thing that stresses out law students. But in this in this situation, they're going to get jobs. Like the economy is good. And, and I think there's a lot of reason for hope. But but again, I think that what is is difficult is, it's, is there isn't that um, opportunity for connecting, which is actually one of the other reasons I thought this assignment was good, because you're actually talking to a person, you know, that, that sort of human contact with other adults. Um, yeah. Because there might have been, like, certainly when I was in law school and, you know, pre-pandemic, I'm sure you as well at, at various law schools, a lot of shoulder rubbing goes on. Like a lot of, you know, you go to a thing and there's lots of people there and you happen to chat with like a judge or something. And it's just interesting. You feel like you're joining a community. Yeah. There, there aren't that many lawyers in Manitoba. So you really are joining a community of people yeah. who all know each other. Um, and to, to not have that opportunity is problematic right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really feel my heart goes out to all the law students who've been, um, you know, studying in their their cramped bedrooms and basements and uh, not making those in-person connections. But hopefully people are getting back now. And big shout out to Robson Hall. I know a lot of you are listening. Um, and Rebecca, it was so great to have you on. And thank you for sharing this awesome assignment with our listeners. A message to law students across the country. Between your undergraduate degree and law school, you made significant financial and personal investments in your future. You are dedicated and motivated. All that stands between you and your career as a lawyer is passing your Ontario licensing exams. Let Emon Exam Prep help you reach your goal. Emon Exam Prep courses and practice exams are specifically designed to help you succeed on your licensing exams. We offer live webinar and 24-7 online courses covering all substantive topics covered by the Barrister and Solicitor exams. 
Our instructors are well-respected senior lawyers and academics and leaders in their fields. Your success means everything to us. To learn more, visit us at u.emon.ca slash barprep. That's u.emon.ca slash barprep. Big thanks to Madison and Rebecca for joining me in the lounge this week. See you next time. The Lawyer's Lounge is produced, engineered, and edited by Alex Ross of Never Sleeps Network, directed and published by Danan Hawes, and marketing by Carly Pompeco. My name is Paul Emond. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lawyer's Lounge. We at Iman Publishing are committed to providing best-in-class criminal law content, including our award-winning criminal law series, edited by Brian Greenspan and Justice Rondinelli, new initiatives like the Lawyer's Lounge podcast, as well as our Iman exam prep resources and criminal law casebooks for law students. <laughs>